Well, thank you so much for coming out today. It's um, a real privilege to be here with you. We know many at home will be watching and couldn't get you because of the snow. Um, but wasn't it amazing being in such an incredible time in the presence of God? Amen? Amen. Guys, you're very quiet today. It's New Year's. Happy New Year, my friends. Yeah. Today, it's a real privilege for me be able to be able to speak on the first Sunday of 2022. And uh, while I was um, praying about this over time, there were so many things that we could speak about it. But actually, yesterday morning, I felt God um, impress on me to speak on the power of unity. And it's a power that David understood well. After facing many years of conflict in a divided nation, the 12 tribes finally came together as a unified nation and crowned David king over one nation under one God. And as a result, under the anointing of God, he wrote this incredible psalm, one of the, my most favorite psalms, and I'm sure many of yours, Psalm 133. This is at the time of his coronation. And this is what he writes, Behold how good and pleasant it is when the people dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the bed of Aaron, running down the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on Mount Zion. For where there is unity, God commands his blessing, even life forevermore. I just want you to think uh, about that word, commanded blessing. I was thinking about this, and we know in Genesis 1, uh, when um, God created the world, he, he spoke, and he says, and God said, let there be light, and, and there was light, and so on. We know the whole Genesis 1 story. But here, God uses the word, the commanded blessing of God, and it's something I would love you to meditate on, as I do. You see, we see this in two chronicles, when Solomon oversees the, the dedication of the first temple, another manifestation of the commanded blessing of God. The nation had gathered together, and as Solomon was pray, praying, fire came down from heaven, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And as they all prayed, holy fire came down, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And as a result, they fell face down, on the streets and began to worship him. A similar supernatural event happened in Acts 2. Once again, it was the unity that released the blessing of God. In Acts 2, verse 2 to 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place, in unity. Once again, that word unity, one place, one people, and suddenly a sound like a blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separate and come and rest upon the people. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And as a result of this church, thousands were saved on that day 
And the church was supernaturally birthed through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus understood the power of uh, unity well. We see this in John 17 in his last meal with his disciples in the upper room. Just hours before his death on the cross, Jesus' last prayer for them was a prayer of unity. And this is 22-22. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as are you in me, and I and in you. May they also be in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they might be one as you are one, as we are one. One tribe, many nations. I added that there. And Jesus writes this, and David writes this in Psalm 46, verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. A beautiful poem, um, psalm. One nation, one church made of many streams. Understanding that there's a difference between biblical unity and worldly unity. And both of them have power. We see this in Genesis 11 at the building of the Tower of Babel. And picking up in Genesis 11 verse 6, the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They have all one language. And this is the, only the beginning of what they can, will do. And nothing they pro propose to do will be impossible to Sorry there. And nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them to do. And as a result of their rebellion, God scattered them. And in Exodus 32, the rebellious unity of Israel uh, convinces Aaron to build a golden calf. You see this power in negative unity and godly unity. In Genesis 37, the unity of Joseph's brothers came together to try and kill Joseph. And in Numbers 13, we see the unity of the ten spies that results in the children of Israel having to wander around the wilderness for 40 years in the desert. You see, when unity is no longer grounded in biblical truth and sound doctrine, but guided by feelings and emotions or preferences, we begin to hear things like this. It sounds good. It feels good. So it must be good. It must be God. We see this in Genesis 3. We see the account of the fall of mankind, which began, began with these three words. Did God really say? On the other hand, biblical unity is characterized by a people in agreement with God and his word. It is not identified by who has the most votes, or who, but by who is in line with the word of God 
and it begins with godly humility. Biblical unity begins by us recognizing our total dependence on God for all things. It comes through us recognizing the worth and the value of people and the fact that we aren't always right and can't always have it our way. It's acknowledging that we don't know it all and that we need each other. It's about honor. It's about respect and understanding that we are all different with different views, but we serve one God. And you see, the opposite of unity is pride. And there's consequence for that, not only for a family, not only for us as individuals, but for churches. And um, I just felt God this, this year to, to impress on me that we need to grow more in unity as a people. This is an amazing church. This is a, there are amazing things going on. But in these times, many things have divided churches all over the world. And this is what pride says. In Psalm 31, 23, the Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. James, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it's a sad thing, because I know that I've been like that in my life many times, and I, in a sense, have felt the resistance of God. But you know what? He is faithful. He loves us, and he forgives us. And another attribute, going back to humility, is gentleness, the opposite of pride. Understand that gentleness is not weakness, but secure strength. It is sometimes bold and direct, but at the same, it is always loving and kind. And to Timothy, he writes, as the Lord's servant, they must not quarrel. Instead, they must be kind to everybody, able to teach, and not resentful. Church, we need to make space for each other's opinions without being bent out of shape. And dare I say, especially in these times. And of course, the most powerful attribute of unity is love. The agate love of God that Paul speaks of in scriptures like Colossians 3, verse 13 to 15. And this is what he says. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. It's amazing the word bear with one another. Sometimes, church, we've just got to grin and bear it for the sake of unity. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did God forgive us unconditionally? We don't deserve it. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds him all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, since as members of one body we are called to peace and be thankful. And Paul writes this from jail in Ephesians to, to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 4, 1 to 6. He writes this, 
As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you receive. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the calling? This is what it means to be completely humble, to be gentle, to be patient, bearing one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Church unity takes effort. It means we can't have it our own way. And we need to understand it not only in the church, not only with our friends, but with our families. You see, because, goes on to say, there's only one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when we were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. And why is this so important, once again? Because there are huge consequences for a house divided, be it physical or spiritual. Jesus himself said, himself said a house divided will not stand. And the enemy's strategy has always been, through all time, to divide and conquer. And as, Solomon, as someone said, the world is way too strong for a divided church. But even more important than the above, biblical unity pleases God our Father, and it releases His presence, His favor, and the command of blessing of God upon His people. And more than that, it pleases the heart of God. And I will finish this short sermon in closing with Psalm 133. But before I do that, my prayer is that this year that we will be a people of unity, that we will fight the right battles, that the battles that are not ours anyway, they belong to the Lord's, and He actually fights them for us, and that we will see the commanded blessing the manifest presence of God in our midst and in our homes, that we will see the power of God move in our meetings. Just like this morning, I was so thrilled with the songs because I, the, the team didn't know which, what I was going to preach for. I didn't even know really until yesterday. But in this time, I just sensed something of that. And we need to, in a sense, in a good way, fight the good fight. Not only the fight of faith, but the fight of unity. Amen. In Psalm 133, I would like to read it again in the context of just what I've said. The 12 tribes have come together. They've come to coronate David as king of one nation. And I have this picture of Psalm 133 as, in a sense, God speaking to God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, looking down at this time where Israel, after many years of war and, and suffering had, and division, had now come together. 
And like any father or any parent, isn't there any, nothing better than being at home and there's unity in the house? And I must say, I can cause disunity as much as anybody else. But I hear God speaking, the Father speaking to God, the Son. And just imagine this in, in your mind. As God says, to God the Father says to God the Son, Behold how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down the bed of Aaron running down the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the Mount of Zion. For there the Lord commands his blessing. And that blessing is life forevermore, eternal life. That's a life with him. And church, this year, I really believe that God is going to move in power not only in this church, but in the churches. I have such an expectation. You see, light shines more in darkness. And we are the light of the world. We are the city on the hill that shouldn't be hid under a bushel or under a bed. God is wanting to use us. And what will initiate this, I believe, is a people in one, one heart and one mind that glorifies the Father in heaven. So I could pray for you and for myself and for our church wherever they are today. Say, Father, we thank you that you love us so much, Lord God. So much, Lord God, that you gave your only son to die for us on a cross, taken upon our sins so that we could live eternally. But not only that, you bring the lonely into families. You've brought us into the family of God. And like any father God, unity brings you joy. It brings your presence. And Lord, I pray that for a spirit of unity that will be amongst ourselves, so that truly, with one heart and one mouth and one love, we will glorify you in heaven, Lord. Have your way, Lord God. I pray for your transcendent peace to come now. Lord, I pray you break any condemnation, Lord. You're a God not of the past, but you're a God of the future. And as we open our hearts today, Lord God, and we may need to ask for forgiveness, Lord God, as we do that, you separate our sins as far as east is from the west, and you choose to remember them no more. And we thank you for a new beginning, 2022, a new year, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that we will walk into this new year, Lord God, in hum humbly in humility, and in unity. I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And church, if we could have the worship team come forward, I would love to sing that song that we've just sung.
such a powerful song about the presence of God. And I'm just going to pray for that manifest presence just to fall on us right now. If we just can close our eyes and just position ourselves, I feel God just wants to touch us some more. Wants to touch our families, wants to touch our nation. Right now, come Holy Spirit, come. We lift up one heart. We lift up one heart in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's stand, church, and worship the Lord.